Welcome to episode 42 of the Lebanese Physicians Podcast. And today we will be discussing hemoglobinopathies and hemoglobin disorders in Lebanon, including thalassemia and sickle cell disease, with our guest, Dr. Adlet Ainati. And the episode will be co hosted by Dr. Hamad Ali Jardari. To introduce Dr. Ainati, she has been in Lebanon for a very long time. She's currently a professor of medicine at the Lebanese American University School of Medicine. She moved back to Lebanon in the 1980s, in the middle of the war, after she had trained at both Johns Hopkins and Harvard, and decided to move back and be resilient and stayed through all the ups and downs of Lebanon. Uh, Not only did she do that, but she also has been very active in the chronic care center, uh, dealing with thalassemia and sickle cell disease. And in 2006, uh, which we will discuss in a bit. She established the George Nassim Khariati Foundation, which actually has dealt with a lot of projects related to both sickle cell disease and thalassemia and other hemoglobin disorders in Lebanon and offers uh, a lot of uh, free healthcare to uh, children in the country. Uh, welcome, Dr. Ainati. Thank you. Thank you, Khali. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for hosting me today. Thanks, Mohammed. Thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, so, Dr. Jelder, do you want to start with the first question? Definitely, definitely. I think uh, Dr. Adlet Inati is the perfect person to talk to us a little bit more about sickle cell disease and maybe give us a little bit of an overview uh, and the impact about those living with this disease. Well, sickle cell disease is my passion. Let me start by saying that I learned about it and I got attached to it when I was mentored by David Nathan and Ora Platt at Children's Hospital uh, Boston. If I want to very briefly summarize it, sickle cell is a group of inherited blood disorders characterized by the presence of abnormal hemoglobin. And that abnormal hemoglobin leads to the formation of a sickle-shaped red cell, which dies prematurely because of its shape and its properties, resulting in hemolytic anemia, and also occludes the small blood vessels all over the body, leading to what we call vaso-occlusion. So ultimately, that vaso-occlusion and hemolytic anemia result together in a series of consequences affecting almost every single organ in the body, leading to significant morbidity, poor quality of life, and early mortality. Uh, The hallmark of the disease is severe pain, which the Africans describe as a drill in their bone. So that's a devastating disease. It's disease, however, where there's a lot of research right now and lots of success in its treatment. Historically, patients who were born with the disease, particularly in areas of high prevalence, like Sub-Saharan Africa or Middle East or uh, India, had poor outcome historically. However, with modern treatment, disease-modifying therapies, newborn screening, preventive therapies, children are living almost close to every, to almost a healthy child. The problem still lies in adults, where adult mortality is still high. So that's a nutshell about sickle cell disease. And Dr. Inet, you were one of the people who actually funded the project on a newborn screening for sickle cell disease in Lebanon. So what are the statistics of sickle cell disease in the country and uh, what are the morbidities of this disease in, in Lebanon right now? Before a few years ago, before we started that national uh, hemoglobinopathy program, actually it's a neonatal screening for hemoglobinopathies, we had no data. We had an approximation of the carrier rate of thalassemia to be 2 to 3%, but that was done among armies 
uh, and not among, uh, among nearest. So we embarked on a related project and we went to every single hospital, public hospital in the country, from the south to the north, and we screened every neonate with HPLC or hemoglobin, some kind of sensitive hemoglobin electrophoresis to detect abnormal hemoglobins. We managed to screen more than 10,000 newborns. And for the first time in Lebanon, we could delineate the exact carrier rate of abnormal hemoglobins and mostly sickle cell disease, which amounts to 2.1% and the disease rate 0.1%. And we delineated that there's geographical clustering in sickle cell disease, different from thalassemia, with the largest clusters in where I work, mostly, which is North Lebanon, around 50%, and there is in South Lebanon. And very, very rarely is it in the interior, internal parts of the country. And we attributed this to the fact that sickle cell genes, the sickle gene is a gene influx from surrounding countries, in contrast to thalassemia, which is homogeneously distributed all over the country. We did pursue the, the, also the ethnic background, and we did a lot of genetic studies that was done in the current care center. And we found that the gene, sickle gene in Lebanon came from Africa mostly in around two thirds of the cases and the rest from Indian Arab, which is a relatively mild, uh, mild genotype. We did fund it, actually, George Nassim Khariati Foundation funded completely uh, uh, in all its aspects. And uh, it was, the project was uh, sponsored or covered, sort of supported in order to be able to enter the government hospital by the Ministry of Health. We've published the data and uh, uh, that data has helped us a lot in assessing the burden of disease as well. This, this was a very impressive project and a very impressive feat to do in Lebanon. I think you were the first person to demonstrate the prevalence of sickle cell. Uh, can you just tell our listeners a little bit how that compares to thalassemia? Because I think a lot of people think that thalassemia is more prevalent uh, yeah, actually, you know, how I believe it, I, I was under the impression there's no sickle cell disease in Lebanon. And actually, if you look at the data before we started, before I started writing about sickle cell disease, because the first report from Lebanon, large reports have been reported by our group. Um, if, you, if you look at the data from Lebanon before the 80s, there were only a few reports with few patients, like, you know, at most with once year's 20 patients or four patients. So the impression was there's no sickle cell disease in Lebanon. And in fact, I remember when I look at my charts, I would say, looks like sickle cell disease, but I doubt it. And I, I, I doubt it till I started doing genotype and I did the color to project with the US group. And we found out that sickle cell, these are in fact sickle cell disease patients. But why did they, some of them look like thalassemics? Because in Lebanon, we do also have alpha thalassemia. And in fact, people with sickle cell disease around in our data that's not published now as yet, around one third of patients, if I recall, between 25 to 30% of patients do carry the alpha thalassemia. And that alpha thalassemia is what was responsible for the splenomegaly partially in these, in these patients. And the splenomegaly was what really com confused me is that you know, splenomegaly was in thalassemia and sickle cell disease, at least in the Northern American population, 95% will have autosplenectomy by five years. So that was it. But based on genetic studies, based on the studies we've done on hundreds of numbers, the carrier rate of sickle cell is it comparable to thalassemia, perhaps, maybe more. 
but at least we, we right now, we have at least 850 to 100 patients, to, sorry, 1,000 patients. But some of them may be underdiagnosed because we're seeing that above the iceberg, those sickle cell disease patients were severe. So more, more work to be done and we're doing it. Wow, these are, yeah, these are big numbers in Lebanon. You always think it's more in the African-American population, let's say in the US. Uh, I always thought that Asenia was much more prevalent in Lebanon, but these are very impressive statistics. Uh, but you so know, Khalil, on the other hand, sorry to interrupt you, it's becoming a global disease. And even in the Europe and South America, there are so many numbers. So that's why we're saying sickle cell is now global disease and everybody knows to, needs to know about it and be educated about it. So what are the challenges of uh, taking care of sickle cell patients uh, currently in Lebanon? I guess we can discuss before and after the October 2019 revolution. Let me, let me dwell on the after October because we're facing now, as you know, triple pandemic, I'll say, it's an economic crisis, August 4 blast, in addition to the COVID pandemic, which makes things really bad. So you can imagine that these things are going to interfere or impede so many parameters in the care of sickle cell disease, starting from first finding medications, the affordability of medications, finding hospital beds, affordability of hospitalizations, uh, costs of hospitalizations and medications, and last but not least, the ease, ease of coming to the treating center because of the COVID pandemic. And of course, more, more recently because of the old economic crisis. Now we've been fortunate in Lebanon, we've been fortunate, or actually the patients have been fortunate that they, most of them are being treated in two comprehensive centers. And I can speak for our comprehensive center in North Lebanon where patients are treated free of charge. So even in the pandemic, what we, we managed to do, we were, we were getting drugs from outside the country when there were no drugs. There was a time when there was no hydroxyurea, which is a lifesaver in patients with sickle cell disease. We had to get it from Switzerland and we were lucky to partner with an association, uh, SOS uh, Medicament Levant, which has been really supporting uh, our patients in getting some of these medications. So, that we have been paying for all the hospital bills, even though it's becoming very difficult. And to avoid COVID in a, in a, in a cohort of patients who have you know, their immunity is so compromised because of this dysfunction, we uh, initiated that designated driver service where our patients will get sent designated drivers who are, many of them are university students who don't have work, but they, they have top health education to be able to take care of this, uh, these people. So in order to make sure that they come to us safely and we initiate the telemedicine, uh, which we have been using for some time, but now we're making more use of it, try to offer to provide them as much care as possible without having them come to the hospital or to the clinic as well. So things have been bad. Uh, NGOs are taking care of these patients, the government, sadly is not doing anything other than supplying some hydroxyurea on and off in an interrupted course. Now, before things, things also have been easier, of course, much easier, but 
and not as expensive because the bills were not as expensive, drugs were not as expensive, things, life was not expensive, patients had more money. So um, it's sad. It's sad. We're trying our best. We, we think we have not deprived our patients from any optimal care service possible. And we're blessed for being able to have a foundation that covers us. We're really blessed. And to have also so many students, even the LEU students, they come with us, we do healthcare visits, we try to offer them the patients all the support possible. I mean, this is all very impressive that you're able to continue providing uninterrupted care for those patients who require so much care and so much coordination. So it really attests to your willpower and uh, the army of people helping you. Uh, your patients are really lucky. Thank you, Mohammed. I'll tell you, in life, you need to be able to change or adjust your life to be able to deliver the best service possible. And if you remember, when, when you were as a medical student, I always used to say, remember, in order to be successful, you need to do three disciplines. You need to be involved in clinical research, in teaching, and expert clinical care. But above all, you need to be a merciful healer. That is very important. As doctors, we have to wear that we have to wear the attire of being a merciful healer all the time and to be able to adjust to the needs of our patients. That's our mission after all. And I think even LAU changed its mission and vision after a while to incorporate that, to incorporate the compassionate and well-rounded healer. Uh, it's something I carry yeah. with me to this day. They're doing, a, they, they're doing, believe me, a great job. We've partnered with them in some of the healthcare visits we've done in Ashrafi. Uh, because after the August 4 blast, you may be aware we've done a GNK relief effort for Beirut. And uh, we would do healthcare uh, days. And when we do screen for anemias and uh, sickle cell disease and do partner with the labs, the LAU lab with Rizal lab for doing the studies, they've been very supportive, honestly. They've been, they're doing a great job. Okay, and I think this is like a good point to transition to talk a little bit more about uh, your foundation. Our listeners have been hearing us talk a little bit about the GNK uh, foundation. So maybe you can uh, give us a little bit of an overview about uh, the foundation and its initiatives. Oh, thank you, Mohammed. Thank you. Um, you know, in 2006, after George died in a car accident at the age of 16, day five after his death, we decided as a family to initiate the foundation. And the drive for that was our belief, and my belief specifically, that there's no room for the weak in the world, and whatever sadness we have, we need to divert into hope, and whatever catastrophe we, have, we pass through, we need to divert into positive initiatives, particularly for youngsters like George who did not have the chance to realize all his ambitions of being a doctor. He wanted to be a doctor. Um, so we registered the foundation. We registered the foundation within one month after George's death, because it takes you know, some time to register in the respective ministries. And the two missions of the foundation were uh, to target the major causes of death and disabilities in young children and adolescents. And this is health issues and road accidents. 
And this is why we wanted to promote road safety in young Lebanese children and adolescents and want to deliver uh, optimal health care to those underserved. So what we did basically, we have these two health divisions. We started with health in 2006. That was around three months after Jewish death. We initiated the dispensary, GNK dispensary, which is in North Lebanon, which is in the birthplace of Jewish, Mina. And that dispensary right now offers comprehensive care, multidisciplinary care actually, to 10,000 people of all ages and of all ethnicities. We have lots of Syrians, Iraqis, Palestinians, and across all ages with a multidisciplinary team. That's the first health initiative we did. And then we started a second initiative, which is the Comprehensive Childhood Cancer and Blood Disease Program, and Health Blood Disease Program. We established that two years later, and that had various parts. The newborn screening that we talked about, the offering free care to children with cancer and to people with inherited diseases of all ages. And at present, we do cover uh, the treatment, the comprehensive treatment of 1,000 people with childhood cancer and inherited blood disorders of whom 400 have sickle cell disease. And the rest thalassemia and bleeding disorders and various kinds of inherited anemias and some unusual blood disorders. So they receive all that care in terms of clinic visits, medications, imaging, counsels, hospitalizations. We try when we can to offer them psychosocial support. And over the past year, we've been, have, we've been trying to offer them all the you know, schooling, some of the food, some of some things that, you, that may help them carry on because we don't want them to drop school. And the third part, uh, of the health was the awareness. I don't know if you remember, Hamad, we had that awareness campaign which says, know about it before it knows about you, be it sickle cell disease or bleeding. And we do it. And actually, LNU students have been very, very, uh, had a great input in doing that and initiating that program with me, even the logos for the foundation, the, the, the the, all the pamphlets for the, that we distributed. And we did that in areas of high prevalence in Lebanon, all over the country, and in schools and universities. Uh, and the fourth part, which I was very keen about, and still am, is initiating or encouraging research among young Lebanese physicians and junior physicians. And if you remember, I don't know if you were the first prize for one of the, for what that research today in uh, LAU a few years ago was for a poster that uh, two of your uh, colleagues that are now in, uh, in the US uh, took the prize for, and it was public, we, we present as an oral presentation ash at that time. So this is the health part of it. The last part of the health is what we did in Beirut, and that was a GNK Beirut uh, relief effort, and that was in collaboration with Lebanon of Tomorrow. And the idea was to join hands to deliver whatever we can to those living under those, uh, you know, horrible conditions, you know. It's, 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 nobody can describe what happened, actually. So basically what we do, we have a team. We have a team of GNK Foundation that we've sent to Beirut. They, they stay in a hotel. For, they have been doing that for since August 14. 
They go three days a week. They assess medications, assess health needs for those who cannot come to hospitals in, the, in their homes. We get them the medications. We try to give them psychosocial support. And initially, after the blast, we were doing a lot of, you know, wood, uh, wood cleaning, debridement, you know. And when we can, we try to offer some milk and uh, in addition to uh, uh, some diapers at times. And, I mean, I, I don't know how you follow up after that. Uh, uh, it, it's very impressive. Thank you for sharing the story about uh, your son. And it, it's really uh, amazing that you were able to turn a tragedy and focus all of your energy and love into a foundation that uh, over the past so many years has touched so many lives. It's really impressive. And I think you're a role model for a lot of people. Um, I'm, I'm just at all at how you're able to uh, continue to work. And um, I don't know, Khalil, if you want to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say it's, 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 it's a lot of effort and a lot of work that has been done by the uh, GNK Foundation. And uh, I wanted to just zoom in on a couple of things. So it seems you have a big multidisciplinary team that takes care of all aspects uh, of care for these kids from the medical care to the psychosocial support to potentially even the educational part, right? Absolutely. You know, we, you know, um, Khalil, it's interesting that we depend on patients a lot and caregivers because patients and caregivers have, when they get their testimony in education, that works very well. The message gets so through. So our team is around 25 between uh, you know doctors uh, junior staff we have a lot of junior doctors who work with us nurses pharmacists social workers uh, uh, psychologists uh, and that team is important to deliver care and it's also important to conduct the global research we're doing because um, uh, in Lebanon we've been doing global research in sickle cell disease and thalassemia for more than at least on my part for more than 15 years and We've, we've conducted more than 20 global trials of all phases, phase one to phase four. And at present, we have 12 ongoing global trials, mostly in sickle cell disease. And this is, it's very important for the young doctors, you know, fresh graduates or doctors in their first, in their uh, junior faculty as well, to be able to be involved in global in clinical research in the system of research, because that teaches them a lot and that helps them get posts outside if they want to go to the US or to go to everywhere. So any, you know, outside the country. So we've built this research network, which has really worked very well. And that has helped the patients as well, that have students, that has the visibility of Lebanese doctors outside. Generally, historically, we used to export or import information and research from outside. You've noticed that the Lebanese, are shining everywhere, especially outside Lebanon. But inside Lebanon, we're trying to convey this message that we have the ability as Lebanese to, we're studious, we're hardworking, we're in research, and we can contribute to the global acumen of knowledge about diseases that are quite prevalent in our area, like uh, sickle cell disease, thalassemia, bleeding disorders, all diseases uh, increased by consanguinity as well. Uh, I think this is a good time to ask you how your work and research on sickle cell, how important that was in your advocacy 
introduce pre-medical screening for sickles, how much did your research inform your advocacy? And you were able to change the law in Lebanon, which you faced all the bureaucracy. Maybe if you That's want to an interesting your... question. Unfortunately, we have not yet changed the law. You know, after the results of the, of the newborn screening, we did a press conference with the Ministry of Health as well, and we were promised they're going to change it. It has not changed as much. Now what's being done in premarital is just think of sickle cell disease. They're doing sickling tests, which we know. A sickle cell disease specialist means nothing, it's inaccurate. They need to do HPLC, either hemoglobinopterophoresis or high performance liquid chromatography, which as yet they have not been doing it. And we did it as a foundation on more than 10,000 babies. And the government as yet is not willing to do it for free for the for the for its people. So true, we could uh, instill the knowledge that. CBC alone is not enough, they need to do more. But when they came to the, do the premarital testing to amend it, they did not consult specialists. They did not consult hematologists, so they did it by themselves. Now we're working on it. Now we have a national sickle cell disease group that was initiated just around a few weeks ago. We're hoping to be able to, to really press on the fact that newborn screening for sickle cell disease should be free and they must all over Lebanon. It is way more common than PKU or other metabolic diseases, way more common than primary immune deficiencies that the government has established the need to do it in government hospitals. So we're working on that. Hopefully it will work, hopefully. Okay, I see I'm, I'm a family physician in Lebanon and I fill out the pre-medical form. And I thought the tickling cell was enough, so this is like new information for me. No, no. So please spread the word, Muhammad. Sickling, we were never consulted. Sickling is such a, I mean, what should you say? This is such an old test we don't use anymore. And believe me, HPLC, if done in big numbers, it will not cut the government a lot. I mean, it can cost them just like three dollars. Hello, we cannot talk about dollars anymore. We don't know what it means, dollars. <laughs> but nevertheless, it will it will cost them around maybe maybe less because maybe I'm sure the WHO will be willing or other other stakeholders to offer it for free. I am positive of that. So it's just the initiative they need to sign that paper. So if, if someone from our listeners is connected to who, who should find the Minister of Health? Should we like pressure yeah. him? <laughs> no, I think the Minister of Health the one to sign. It, I think we're coming through because we did the first step, which is important, which, which is having that national sickle cell disease plan. And because now, as you're, I'm sure you're aware, that there are so many novel drugs in sickle cell disease. There are three that have been FDA approved recently since uh, in the past two, three years uh, for minimizing or reducing these occlusive crisis and one voxillator for pain. And all of these drugs, Adacfi or Crisalizumab, which works on the adhesion pathway in sickle cell disease, has been licensed, uh, has been, is in Lebanon now, and we're giving it on a compassionate basis for patients. So the Ministry of Health is interested now, now that there are so many other drugs. And we're trying to convince them that these are very important to improve not only the lives, but they're very cost effective for them. Because, you know, ministers think of cost and that's valid. So they're way more cost effective. So I think we're, they're moving with us. I feel things are more positive nowadays. I, I feel so. 
And we're, we're going to be behind them. We don't want children to have so much pain. Our interest in sickle cell disease came from the fact that George did not like to see anybody who, who is in pain, who's suffering a lot, who's, you know, who's underprivileged. And these patients have so much pain, different from thalassemia. And it, it is so many complications, so many ups and downs in their life from catastrophic disorders, hospitalizations, uh, uh, anemias, um, not to mention all the psychosocial and stigmatization issue. So we're trying to work on all of those if possible, trying, trying, trying to be as comprehensive as possible. And, and one, th one thing you mentioned about your foundation is working still with the post-August 4th uh, children uh, in Beirut. And I think people forget because the explosion happened now more than 15 months ago and a lot of the areas in Beirut have been fixed, but people forget that there's still a lot of areas that have not been fixed and a lot of children who have lost their homes and have not recovered from this. So can you tell us a bit more about the work you're doing in Beirut? You know, you know, I'm glad you touched upon this, Khalil. I would never forget when I, when I went on a tour to the houses, to the house at, at the time when COVID was really quite, I mean, quite at its peak, but I felt an obligation. I couldn't help it. I knew there were so many older women, even though I'm a pediatrician, but, you know, uh, I think physical exam is not going to change. And the good history and physical exam remain ABCs of good medicine. So I went and visited people of all ages, young, old who couldn't make it. And I was devastated by the extent of disruption in the houses, um, extent of poverty, extent of the, the way they're living. I mean, I mean that, was, that was really shocking to me. And the more things are continuing and don't be, you know, you see on the TV, maybe that they've, you know, they've rebuilt so many houses, so many foundations have come to them, they promised to help them, but sadly, promises are something and doing things are something else. This is why we believe at the foundation, we should do things in the background. And, you know, we, we don't go on TV. We don't talk about what we're doing because these people should be treated with a lot of grace and a lot of honoring because they're warriors and they need to be on their side. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done still. You know, your input from outside, extremely, I think is extremely important. Lebanon is now standing because of the support of the many Lebanese who are outside, including people who, like you who are advocating for the Lebanese people, for Lebanese talents in every way or another. So had it not been for the Lebanese sector outside, things have been, and the NGOs in Lebanon, things have been really catastrophic. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done. It will take years and years and years to rebuild Lebanon. But the resilience is our goal and our guiding light. Resilience, resilience, and loving this country because I lived in a country when it was very good, when it gave me so much, and when Beirut was to me nicer than New York. So, so we need to pay back. I think the August 4th explosion is the Lebanese Chernobyl. I don't think it's something you ever forget or something you ever get over. And uh, the extent of the damage, I, mean, I still see patients to this day who are traumatized 
from uh, the explosion. Uh, their houses have not been fixed to this day, even though it's been close to a year and a half now. And there's so much more work to be done. And it's going to take an entire generation, maybe, to just fix uh, what was happened. Uh, can to every anyone listening uh, right now to our podcast, uh, can they? Is there a way to donate to the foundation if they want to help uh, with money or something? Yeah, actually, uh, actually, yes, there is. Uh, there is. Uh, I don't have the. I don't remember the all the details. I can send them to you. I'm not good at that, actually. Uh, we can post yeah, them. At, we at can the phone actually, they can donate to any foundation. As a matter of fact, you know, I'll tell you, we're we're blessed to have to have a supportive family. I'm blessed to have lots of good work as well. My work is very good. So is my husband and my children. And so far, we're doing very well. I don't know for how much we're going to hang over. Uh, but whoever would like to support, let them support in any way. It doesn't have to be for GNK. It can be for anybody. It can be, for example, uh, uh, for putting in schools, students who have been out of school. This is one of our new projects I forgot to talk about. Actually, my children are taking care of that. Uh, children who have been displaced of schools, we're trying to put them on track because education, I think, is one of the solutions to build Lebanon again, education. Uh, had the Lebanese been educated enough, we would not have reached that stage. So there are lots of work to be done. Um, I'll be happy to send our uh, details for whoever is interested, but they can contribute to any foundation. Great. Yeah, and this, this is very important when you just mentioned education because a lot of children now, especially the children who go to public schools, have not been able to go to school recently. And, and this is a big issue because it, it needs to be solved yeah. soon so children can get educated and be able to rebuild the country uh, afterwards. And, but, uh, and even the private schools, there's been a huge migration this year from private true. schools to public schools, and the public true. schools have been on strike. I, I don't think they've had uh, a full month of schooling this year. True, because, you know, there's uh, the, the teachers are not getting their rights. And the schools do not have, I know from school in our village that we, we as a family are rehabilitating now. Uh, no, no electricity, no light, no warming, nothing. So, so, you know, to me, in as much as health is very important and people pay a lot of attention to health, but the, the major issue remains education. Education from early on, you build their autonomy, you build their independence, they can pursue the future in a good way. I mean, this is how we were brought up in Farhazir, our village, you know, in Kura. In Kura, as you know, is very keen about education, higher education. And I remember when I went to pharmacy the first year in my in AUB, my father went to our apartment at night at 11 at night when he won, when he knew. And he came knocked at the door and I said, oh, my God, what have I done? And he came and whispered in my ear and he said, whoever convinced you to go into pharmacy, let him pay for your fees. And as much as pharmacy is very good, but in Lebanon, this is not for my children. So I wouldn't forget it. And I, I'm so glad he did that. <laughs> so education. 
Yeah, that's right, Antti. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today on the podcast and for highlighting the work that uh, the Jordan Simchriyadi Foundation is uh, doing, helping children with sickle cell disease, thalassemia, multiple other uh, blood and cancer uh, disorders. Uh, and thank you for all for all you do. Uh, and one thing I learned too, you're from you're from Kura, so my uh, my mother's side of the family is all from Kura, so maybe we're uh, related. Oh, really? Which family? <laughs> Fayyad, she's from Fayyad. Fayyad, they're from Farah or Kuzba, I think. Fayyad, okay, it's good to know. So, Khalil, thank you. Muhammad, thank you. Thank you for uh, highlighting uh, Lebanese causes. And uh, um, let me tell you, I feel so proud to be. Talking to you, I think you as Lebanese doctors, your young talents, you're instilling so much information and spreading the Lebanese talents and resilience all over the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a role model for all your hard work. You too. Bye-bye.